Briefly, and then 106. I've entitled the message this morning, Remember to Give Him Thanks. You're going to hear a lot this week about people saying, Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Remember, there always has to be an object. Sometimes people say, well, give thanks, and so I give thanks to me, and so I give myself a big hug. Aren't I wise? Aren't I lucky? Aren't I fortunate? Aren't I strong? No, that's not it. We give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And let's remember to do that this week, remember to give him thanks. I'm reminded that one of the most heartbreaking sicknesses that come along in our day, it's probably been there, but now with people living a little bit longer, is that of Alzheimer's. What a, what a sad and terrible disease this is, how sad it is for a dear family to have a dad or mom, and some of you have experienced that, and maybe you are currently a granddad or grandmom, or someone, a brother who, uh, or sister who's, who suffers from that terrible malady of Alzheimer's. We have even in our church uh, uh, one of our dear ones who is now over 80 and uh, is not here today and is suffering from this, going into himself more and more and more, and his dear wife taking care of him. It's a terrible thing to have lost the, re- the ability to be able to recognize loved ones and children and all the sweet memories. Think about that, how blessed we are with all the memories. And they, they get sweetened like wine, they said, as that song, as the days go on. But all of a sudden, all the, the lights turn down and the memory, and you can't remember uh, all those sweet times and places or to recognize dear ones. I say to you, it's a terrible thing to, to forget uh, it is. But I'm reminded, as sad as that is, there's something far worse. Uh, and on your sheet I have it, there's something far worse. And that is after having received so much from the Lord, so many good things, His faithfulness seen in our life, answers to prayer, goodness, provision, live indoors, family, friends. So many of you have recounted uh, just the tip of the iceberg of the, of the blessings that God has showered upon us. And then to go about our days uh, as ingrates and forgetting, I call it spiritual Alzheimer's, forgetting all that God has done. I tell you it's something more terrible, more dreadful than physical Alzheimer's is spiritual Alzheimer's. To live on God's good earth and breathe his air and enjoy his sunshine. And for those of you that name the name of Christ and to go about and daily, not even thinking about, wait a minute, God has saved me. And heaven's my home, and he cares for me. And not to give him thanks daily, I say to you that it's within us, within all of us, that bent, that propensity to wander and to sin, and not to daily reflect upon it. Spiritual Alzheimer's is worse than physical Alzheimer's, as terrible as it is for us to go on in life forgetting of all of God's goodness to us, or worse yet, ignoring him. And we do that by not thanking him daily. Well, Psalms 105 and 106, did you know that they go together? Both of them are inspired. I'm not so sure that the order is inspired in our Bible, but here like bookends, these, these two Psalms, these hymns and the Hebrew hymn, they'll fit right together. 
Uh, Psalm 105, and that was our memory verse for this month, verse 1, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. And in this psalm, the psalmist writes of God's incredible faithfulness through the centuries of time, that God has been faithful. Faithful to the Abrahamic covenant. Faithful to his people when they were in Egypt. Faithful at the Red Sea and the crossings. Faithful in the conquering of the land. To do all that he said he would do according to his word. That God is faithful. It's a, it's a hymn of thanksgiving. It's a hymn of praise. Elevating the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And then when you come to Psalm 106, which will be our focus briefly this morning. You can read it, study it more later. I've given you an outline here. It's, uh, it's the same message. God is faithful, and he's faithful, and it takes us through the whole historical litany again of all the places of, of God has been faithful to do what he has said he would do. But the difference between 105 and 106 is, 106, uh, God is, God's faithfulness is seen in contrast to our lack of faithfulness. In contrast to our disobedience. And yet God is faithful even when we are not. It's an amazing psalm. God remembers, uh, for it, 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 uh, Psalm 106 remembers God's faithfulness in the face of his people's forgetfulness. Spiritual Alzheimer's, they forgot to look up. They hardly look up, and they almost ignore uh, God. Psalm 105 is uh, filled with God's faithfulness. And it testifies of God's sovereignty. You can read through Psalm 105, go back to that again, and go through and circle all the he's. He did this, and he did this, and he did it. The beginning of all the verses, and it pronounces that God is sovereign, and he is great, and he will do it. And then when you come to Psalm 106, the spiritual Alzheimer's psalm, God still does it. He's faithful even when we are not. And we shouldn't be. We forget, but God remembers Remembers. Remember the old in history. Remember that. Remember the Alamo that rallied people. Oh, we've got to we got to muster the troops and we've got to fight the enemy. Remember the Alamo. Remember God. Remember Him. Stamp it upon your heart and your being. Well, Psalm 106 will be our focus. There are two parts briefly in this Thanksgiving song, calling us to remember, to praise, and to give thanks to God. For all his abundance and blessing to us, for he is good, and his love, his chesed, endures forever. You see, we don't praise the Lord because he is wonderful, and so are we. You are not, and I'm not. We praise him and we give him thanks because it's completely the opposite of that. He is faithful, and we are not. We ought to be, we should be, we are enabled to be, but often we are not. And yet God is faithful even through that. His mercy is renewed every day. Great is his faithfulness. Well, there are two parts in this uh, spiritual psalm, uh, this uh, spiritual Alzheimer's psalm of thanksgiving, uh, really, that call us to praise. In verses 1 to 39, uh, is the first part, and uh, then the latter part, it closes, verses 40, 46. You see that on your, your handout. Uh, the first part is, uh, did you know that ingratitude often leads us down an evil path? 
You see, what a man sows is what he reaps. What a woman sows is what they reap. There are always unintended consequences. You say, well, is it really that important that I, re- I rise daily and look up and praise God and, and open my Bible and thank Him for saving me? He's my Creator, my God, and all the blessings and count them one by one and name them. And we sing, and it'll surprise you what the Lord is. And why is that? Because our tendency is to forget. You know, we, we have urgent prayer requests, and it's urgent. Maybe it's a medical need, maybe a financial need, something with our grandchildren and that, and we're, we're so burdened, and we don't sleep. And, all, and the days go on, we cry out to God. We get our church family to pray. We get friends to pray. And then bit by bit, or maybe suddenly, God answers. And there's something in us that I just loathe because a few days later, a few shakes of the stick in time, and we, like, forget about it. All of God's blessing and all of his goodness, I hate that in myself. Oh, God, snuff that out, that ingratitude that is a part of my heart. And let me sing your praises and and let me effervesce with thanksgiving and gratitude uh, in my family when I'm one-on-one, when I'm in the the marketplace, wherever I am in the car driving, giving you thanks for all things, for the gift of life, for my next heartbeat, for all these things. And the psalmist here reminds us, when we don't do that, get ready. Get ready, it's the downward path. You see, we live in a world that God has principles. There are many, many principles, many rules, very laws that, that operate. And when we violate them, there are consequences to pay. In the physical world, the same thing is true in the spiritual world. We think of the law of gravity. You can't violate that without uh, some sort of pain, depending how high up you are. You see, I don't believe it. doesn't matter if you believe it. It's still true. You step off the building, you say all the way down, I don't believe it. I don't believe I'm going down. You're going down. You're going down. Unless there's another one of God's principles, the law of lift, and it takes you up, and you better have that at that moment. It would be great. I'd like to try one of those, those jet packs. So they go around the, the old veteran stadium. I remember seeing that. It didn't help the Eagles play any better, but it was fun watching that. That guy had a, I thought his pants were going to start on fire. You know, with that thing shooting out the back there? Unless you have the law of lift. That's another one of God's laws. Electromagnetism, all these laws of physics and, and centripetal force and, and, and things of, of uh, either minutiae or great things in this vast outer space. You see, there are principles and laws and rules in, in the physical world. And the same thing is true in the spiritual world. When you violate it, get ready. And when you and I, as God's children, I trust you've come to know Christ the Lord as your Savior. That's the most important thing in life. And then after having been born from above, born again, to go about your days and giving little thought of God, little thought of thank you, Lord, and and expressing that, because unexpressed gratitude is really ingratitude, Right? Isn't that right? We know what that is in our kids' life. You know, we, we taught our children growing up, when you receive some, something that doesn't, you express that. You say, well, I'm very happy inside. That's not enough. You take them and you shake them a little bit. My mother taught me that. You shake them. Who do you think you are? The world doesn't revolve around you. You better express it. And uh, unexpressed gratitude. Say, well, I'm happy in my heart. Well, that's good. That's a start. Let it flow out now. 
express it. And for here's the principle, verses 1 to 39, know that ingratitude, when we don't express thanksgiving, it often leads us down to an evil path. And so, having said that, and that's where he's headed, verses 1 and 2, it's an invitation. In verse 10, Psalm 106, pray, so he calls us at the get-go, praise the Lord, hallelujah, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. His love endures forever. And who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? How about that? Today I'm going to declare all the greatness of God in praise. You're, you're just getting started. If you start in the morning, go all day. You're, you couldn't say, well, that's enough. I finished it. I've given an ample amount of thanksgiving and praise to God for all that he's worth. Impossible. You cannot do it. But give him praise anyway. Let's do what we can and utter that. And God invites us to do that. An invitation. You've been invited to a party. You've been invited to dinner. You've been invited to somewhere special. I remember my friend got invited to a presidential inauguration. Showed me the engraved uh, 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 invite for that. I was very impressed with that. I remember these many years later. How about this? The God of the universe, through his writer here, invites us to come and to spend our days in giving thanks to the Lord and slipping it into the conversation, no matter where we are. Speak freely. You're Americans. We believe in free speech, don't we? Say, Lord, thank you for that. And give thanks to that. Thank you. Well, and B, God's people in ancient day did not remember all that the Lord had done for them. And consequently, as the psalm is going to unfold, it led to all sorts of sin. And the same thing is true in your life and mine. Here we find God's people forgetting. And, and the way it's laid out is geographically. There are three locations. I'll tell you them right now, beginning in Egypt. And then in the wilderness wanderings. And then the third location is in the promised land. The land that God was giving them. And in, in verse 7, uh, we, we, we discover here uh, that uh, in verses 7 to 12 in Egypt... Israel forgot God's work for them while they were slaves in the greatest nation of that day in Egypt. And uh, God delivered them with his mighty arm and his strength. God delivered them. Look at verse, uh, verse 7. Uh, as he, and when our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember, there it is again, spiritual Alzheimer's, your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet you saved them for your name's sake, to make them a mighty power, to make your power known to the world. Uh, he, uh, that is the Lord, rebuked the Red Sea, and he dried it up, and he, you led them through, I'm, I'm changing the, uh, the reference here, through the depths as through a desert. And he, or you, Lord, saved them from the hand of a foe. Verse 11, the waters covered their adversaries. That's the Egyptian, even Pharaoh, and not one of them survived. Then they finally believed his promises and sang his praise. That's not to their credit. And God had done a great work for them in Egypt. And uh, God had uh, delivered them from the mighty Egyptians. All the plagues, you remember that? All ten plagues was God's attempt to show that the Egyptian pantheon of deities was nothing, nothing. The flies and the gnats and the Red Sea and all the way up to the firstborn, the last plague. God was delivering 
his people from the mighty Egyptian nation. And uh, he was going to protect them and provide for them. And even at the Red Sea, so he leads them out. They leave on that night, and, and Pharaoh begs them to go. And they come to the Red Sea, the first obstacle. First obstacle, God had delivered them and protected them even when the plagues were falling upon the godless Egyptians. The land of Goshen was protected, we were reminded. Their cattle did not die. The hail that fell, God protected them from that. And now they, they leave, and, and there's probably a million and a half people uh, at least, and they come to the first obstacle, the Red Sea. Oh my, why did you lead us out here? Grumbling, murmuring, complaining. This is the people that name the name of God. That murmuring. You know, God hears that. You know, he hears everything we say. God help us. What a scary thought that is. Yet it's true. The Bible says, does he who formed the eye, does he not see? You know, the whole concept of sight and eyeballs and the beauty of that. I often say to Todd, what a joy it is for you to be a specialist in eye. What a, what a wonder that is. And the psalmist goes on, does he who made the ear, does he not hear? He does. It's a statement of his omniscience. He hears, and in him we live, move, and have our being. And he knows that. And here they are complaining at the first sign of problem. They're rebelling. In verse 7b, that's their first sin here. Let's listen. They rebelled by the Red Sea. Isn't this the way it is with us often? We see God's miracles, His answer to prayer, His many goodnesses to us. And at the first sign of, of new opposition, we, we throw up our hands and we sort of forget God and all that He has done. And we're soon rebelling against Him. God forgive us. You see, ingratitude. They ought to have been singing praises to God and trusting Him. And they come to the Red Sea, well, Lord, here's a great obstacle. I can't wait to see how you're going to deliver this. You certainly didn't bring us out here to kill us and bury us. Instead, they were like, oh, the case of the gripes. And the moaning and the groaning and the murmuring. Oh, man. They're in Egypt and they're at their deliverance. Spiritual Alzheimer's, what a terrible, terrible disease it is. You know, this uh, Thursday we're going to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving in our homes and in our places, and it, it's uh, because the pilgrims there, that godly group of people that fled uh, were a religious persecution in Europe, and they made their way over on the Mayflower, 1620, Plymouth Rock, and there they landed, and if you ever went up there and saw the, the facsimile, the replica of the Mayfair, you won't believe it, how small it was. It wasn't a dinghy, but it wasn't like the QE2, the, one of the great ocean. And they humbly trusted God and crossed in a late fall crossing and landed there. And they barely survived. That first winter was the killing winter, and... Uh, Governor Bradford, you know the story. Let me read to you the proclamation he made at that first Thanksgiving in trying to remember all that God had done. Governor Bradford, I'm quoting, Governor Bradford, Massachusetts, made this, this first Thanksgiving proclamation three years after the pilgrims settled at Plymouth. And here it is. I'm quoting uh, Bradford. Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and he has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, 
And inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from the pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of nine and twelve in the day time on Thursday, November the 29th, of the year of our Lord, 1,623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock there to listen to ye pastor, I like that part, and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his wonderful blessings. Oh, be careful, be careful when God delivers, when God does it, that we don't ever fess and look to him and lean upon him and rather rebel. The second location, verses 13 to 33, is the wilderness. And the book of Numbers really recounts that. That's the record of the wilderness wanderings, 38 and a half years. I call it the longest funeral march in history, as uh, they wouldn't believe God. They rebelled against God, and so God buried the older generation in the wilderness. You wouldn't believe me? You were worried about your kids? I'll give it to your kids, and you're going to die here in the wilderness. And he gives a whole listing of, of sins brought about because they were not mindful to be filled with gratitude to the Lord, but rather they soon forgot. Look at verse 13. I have underlined in my Bible, soon. That's the way we are, isn't it? But they, verse 13, soon forgot. There it is, what he had done. And did not wait for his counsel. And here it is, in the desert. Here's the second location. That's the wilderness. They gave into their craving in the wasteland. They put God to the test. In the, the list of sins, we don't have time to develop it all, but first, verses 13 and 15, they were discontent. They were discontent. Uh, you brought us out here to kill us. Some of you may think that, right? And God provided manna. Now, that's amazing. I draw a lot of strength from manna. You know, that uh, was something they never saw. It wasn't something the farmers produced. And God said, look, I'm going to take care of you. And he produced manna. And it came on the exact day that they needed it. And it went all those years, and it ended the first day they crossed into the promised land. God provided. God provided. Have you learned that? That God provides. We're going to receive a Thanksgiving harvest offering today. And in the next few weeks, as we... Give that offering of sacrifice to the Lord, to our beloved church that God has raised up for His glory alone. We're going to ask you to recount how God has provided for you. Draw the, learn the lesson of the manna and how God provides as we trust Him and look with Him and live for Him. They were filled with discontentment. And then they said at one point, and, and it's Exodus 16 and Numbers 11 if you want, now, we're tired of this manna. They made bagels out of it. They made pizza. They made bread. They made all kinds. We're kind of nauseated at that. Sounds like dinner time around home, doesn't it? Mom, don't we have anything else to eat around here? We want meat. We want a guy says, you want what? He said, we want meat. And God heard them in their discontentment and, and in his mercy provided quail. He provided quail and an east wind brought these birds in. They weren't out hunting him. Sorry about that. Some of you like to hunt quail. 
And they came in, and the birds landed in the area, and it says the quail uh, hyperbole was up to their nostrils, and they ate it till it was coming out. They ate, you, quail you want? Did I hear quail? Get ready, here it comes. The sin of discontent. Why? They weren't thankful. Be careful about that. And then verse 16 to 18, jealousy. We find out some of the children of Aaron, the Korites, in number 16. You know, if you read it and discover it, they had to carry parts of the equipment of the tabernacle by God's design. You carry it. Some of their cousins had wagons, and they got all put out because they had wagons, and they had to carry it. And so in their jealousy, because they what? They wanted a wagon. Now, that sounds like us, doesn't it? I want, I want, Lord, I want what he has. You see, the point is God wanted the Korites to carry their part of the tabernacle so that they would always feel the burden of sin. And that part that they were carrying and responsible, they were not to put on a wagon and not feel the burden of it. And so they sought rebellion against uh, Moses because of jealousy. And then idolatry in verses 19 through 23. There at the golden calf, you remember that. In verses 24 to 27, unbelief. In Numbers 13 and 14, they, Moses sent the spies into the wilderness. And uh, they brought back the report. And the people's hearts melted. And uh, they refused to believe that God would give them the land. It was filled with giants. And the ten spies that brought back the evil report, Caleb and Joshua brought the good report. And they missed the promised land. They missed God's blessing because of unbelief. And isn't that the way it often is? When we don't trust God, when we don't walk with Him, when we don't believe His word and His promises, it's the way down. It's the way down. And it led to death for them. Often, uh, one man writes, we miss the good that God has for us simply because we will not believe His promises nor will we act upon them like the children of Israel. You see, there really is nothing really new under the sun. We are of the same substance as uh, these, these folks. In apostasy, in verses 28 through 31, there, horror of horror, the, uh, the Israelite uh, men joined with the Moabite women, the women of the land, and they had sex to their fertility gods and descended lower and lower and lower into the, to the evil pagan wickedness of that day. All because why? Neither were they thankful, Paul says in Romans 1. It's the escalator down big time. Be careful of that. Beware of that. And finally, F, the insurrection. There in verses 32 33, where Moses, in his anger against the disobedience of the people, he struck the rock that gave forth water instead of speaking to it, found in Numbers chapter 20. God said, Moses, because you did that, and that rock is Jesus, we know from 1 Corinthians, and he would only be smote one time at Calvary, and you have now defiled the image that I have told you to do, you'll not enter the promised land. I'll let you see it, but you will not enter it because of the insurrection of Moses. Well, Egypt, the wilderness wanderings, and finally the last setting, verses 34 to 39, they forgot God's provision in the promised land, the land of Canaan. Verses 34 to 39, 
The psalmist restores, reminds us in verse 34, they didn't destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and they adopted their customs and they worshipped their idols and they became a snare to them and they sacrificed their sons and their, their daughters to demons and they shed innocent blood. And here we discover their sin, and this is the eighth and final one mentioned, that it was an accommodation. They accommodated themselves. They mingled themselves with people that didn't know Christ and they and know the Lord, and they accommodated themselves to the to the godlessness of the culture of the land of that day and disobedience to God. But it began. It began because they weren't thankful. They didn't effervesce with a praise to God. They didn't look back and remember. But they soon forgot. And down and down and down it went. Now they're coming to the fiery metallic image uh, of the pagans of that day and they're offering their little children, their little son going up and, and, and searing him on this red hot cast iron altar of the Canaanite wickedness of that day and destroying their own children. How horrible. is it? How do you get to that point from, from the Red Sea crossing and the deliverance? How does that happen? Lack of gratitude in your heart and mind. That's how we get there. That's how we get there, according to the Word. They joined together with the godless Canaanites, and they destroyed even their own children. I say to you, there are principles, just like gravity, in the physical realm, principles uh, uh, of uh, God's world in which we live in. And if we violate them, stick your finger in the toaster while it's still plugged in. I know. I got jolted and went flying across the kitchen floor when I was a kid. And didn't I learn that lesson as it melted the end of that, that knife at home when I was about eight years old. And today, every time I toast that toast before I put my peanut butter on, I remember, unplug the thing before I fish the thing. It's funny how I, every time I go like, I'm not going to do that again. God has principles. And when we violate them, get ready. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Oh, I would, I would wish that we would leave this place with a chorus of gratitude, and you'd never stop. And as we gather again, you'd be encouraged again to focus on the Lord God, our Savior, and to praise Him, and to praise Him from the depths of your heart. Know that the ingratitude often leads us down an evil path to all sorts of sin in this litany of transgressions that are listed for us. But there's a second part, and he closes the psalm in verse 40 to 46. Know that God always responds to us as his people. Some of it we would expect, and some of it is completely and totally unexpected. And here we discover that in verse 40 through 43, God's response, and here we're not surprised, verse 40, therefore, it's a conclusion, the Lord was angry with his people, and he abhorred his inheritance, and he handed them over to the nations. Um, why? Verse 43, many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. Now, this is expected, right? God judges he judges his people when they sin. When, we, we, when we're talking about his people, we mean God disciplines. He does like a father does a child, just like we do in our homes, right? You don't allow rebellion under the roof. 
you say, look, you're going to live in this home, you're going to abide by these rules, or you're out. You're out. I'll help you pack the bag. I remember hearing that once when I was home. I'll pack the bag for you. You go like, whoa, thinking about those consequences. No, I think I'll fit in here for a while. We say that, right? And if you cross the line, there's going to be something to pay with there. And, and, and God, who, who, who oversees his own family, when we go away, he paddles us and disciplines us. You can read Psalm 51 and 32 and David's uh, penitential psalms where God dealt with him with his sin with Bathsheba. He paddled him but good. Night and day it was filled with tears as God brought him back and restored him to the joy of his salvation. So this is not surprising that God would do that. We understand that on on different levels of life and in our families. For sure we do. God was angry and his dealing is expected. But what is not expected is the ending of the psalm, verse 44 to 46, is is that God has compassion and and he delivers them. He remembers. Look at verse 44. He closes, but he, that is the Lord, took note of their distress when he heard their cry for why? Why? For their sake, he remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with David, the new covenant. And out of his great love, he relented. We forget, but God remembers. And he caused them to be pitied. And by all who held them, save us, O Lord our God, and Gather us, he prays, from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen and Amen, and praise the Lord. So I say to you here, we may forget his care of us, but he never forgets you, and he never forgets me. Your name is engraved on his hands, and on his fingers, the text tells us. We forget, we have that tendency, we should not, we ought not, may we never, but he never does. He remembers. And finally, therefore, let me urge you, fill your thoughts and your prayers and your words with praises and thanksgiving to him. And do whatever you have to to help you remember the blessings and the care and the mercies of the Lord Jesus in your life. Do whatever you have to. We have posters in the back that prompt you to write down, put little mementos on the wall, little sayings. Write it on your hand if you have to. To remember, to look back and remember all that God has done so that you're not inflicted with spiritual Alzheimer's. Be warned of the downward trail if you should forget. And know that he never does. Be sure to give him thanks, for he is faithful in spite of our unfaithfulness. Well, lessons for our life when we're done. Quickly, number one. Lesson number one, be warned. If you ignore God's blessings to you, if you ignore them by refusing to give him thanks, or being stingy, or forgetful, or ignoring him. Sin will be at the door of your life. Don't be surprised by that. Romans 1, neither were they thankful. Then the downward spiral begins. Give thanks to him. Number two, refuse to live as an ingrate. Say, Lord, you know, you've rebuked me. I've been an ingrate. 
I've not been counting my blessings. I've not been thanking you. Uh, I don't know how you can stand me. I need a good paddling. Lord, help me from this point. Begin to make a difference in my life by effervescing, bubbling forth, expressing in attitude and words and thoughts my praises and thanks to you. I refuse. I'm not going to do it. Number three, marvel at the Lord's faithfulness to you, to us, in spite of our unfaithfulness. I can't get over it, really, in my own life. That God is so faithful to me. I deserve the exact opposite. And so do you. You're made of the same stuff, according to God's only word. I marvel at that. I don't begin to think, oh, I deserve this, Lord. Aren't I something? No, don't do that. Go down that street. Lord, give me what I deserve. You're out of here. And it's going to be a hot environment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Number four, by taking the time to remember God's many mercies to us and not forget them will cause us to be far more of a thankful people. Take the time to reflect. Don't be going, 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 always going, pedal to the metal, that kind of thing. That's our culture. That's our environment. We can do that. We can crowd the schedule and all. Take time to be still and reflect on the Lord, His goodness, His greatness, the marvel of salvation, the wonder of our Savior. And count your blessings. Write them down. Put them in a prayer journal, a blessing book. Fill it up. Keep writing it. A journal. And then pass it on. When you breathe your last, just before, look, I want to show you my kids and my family and dear ones around, what God has done in my life. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Love him and serve him. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. Everything else is by far secondary. Live for him as a servant of Jesus. Number five and last, let me urge you, perhaps you're not thankful in heart. You're saying, well, I'm not here for the, 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 the praising and the singing and the word. I'm here to eat turkey only. That could be maybe because you're not saved. You've never been born again. Whether young or old, doesn't matter. You have to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Born in sin and I sin, and I love my sin. I repent and confess that I'm a sinner lost, deserving of hell. I receive you and your death to make the payment for my sin. I couldn't do it. You did it all. If you pray that way, you'll be saved today. Oh, my. So many of you have done that. And words like that, they're not magic words, but that's the sense of it. And you'll be saved today. And beyond anything else, beyond salvation, I mean, you're wealthy indeed if you know Christ. Wealthy. Praise him and give him thanks. So I say to you, remember to give him thanks. Oh, that's Psalm 105, and it's corresponding psalm, Psalm 106. Praise ye the Lord, shall we pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful psalm and this wonderful day and this wonderful week, and, and really life itself is with you, walking hand in hand as